you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Amen. Church, why don't you join me in praying, and we'll ask God to be with us as we open his word together today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this letter uh, that you have inspired Paul to write to the church in Corinth. Lord, we pray that as we read this next chapter, chapter 5 today, Lord, you would pour out your Spirit upon us. You would speak so clearly to each of us, Lord, and you would use it. Uh, apply it, Lord, to each as we need it. Uh, use it in our lives, we pray. Transform us. 
by the power of your word and your spirit. Amen. Well, friends, great to be with you. So good to be with you here on Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day. Let me add my uh, echo to that. So good that we honored our moms. They are special women in our lives. And Rachel, I love that you honored the spiritual moms among us who've had such a, an influence in nurturing and caring for us in the faith. Thank you, God, for these women who are treasures in our lives. And speaking of treasure, uh, this man you'll see on screen, this is Forrest Fenn. Uh, Forrest Fan is a former U.S. military pilot turned art dealer, and back in 2010, he decided to take a, a portion of his own treasure and hide it in a, a cache somewhere in the Rocky Mountains. He hid it, and then he published, wrote and published a mysterious poem with nine clues that would lead would-be treasure hunters to find his hoard of gold coins and precious gemstones and jewelry, all up said to be worth about one million dollars. And so it really captured the imagination of people. Hundreds of treasure hunters got on the, the case to find his stash. Online communities debated where the treasure would be. People invested hours of their life to finding this treasure. Some people went bankrupt in the pursuit of this wealth. One man went to prison for digging up graves. Bit rude, trying to find the treasure there. Uh, five people lost their lives in pursuit of this treasure. They gave it all, and it didn't seem like it was ever going to be found until 2020, 10 years later, not long before Fan died. Rumors emerged that someone had found the treasure, the, the hunter, the finder wouldn't reveal their identity, but photos started to emerge of Fan with his treasure hoard, and he confirmed that, yes, indeed, the treasure had been found. And so finally, the finder revealed their identity. It was Jack Stoof. Ever heard of him? I don't think so. He was a 32-year-old medical student from Michigan, a an ordinary life whose life was transformed by finding this treasure chest. But not in the way that you might think. He has been sued several times. Uh, some of his fellow hunters have alleged that he broke into their online communication and kind of discovered the clues that they'd been working on and stole the treasure that was theirs if he hadn't hacked in. He's become a figure of hit. He says this, I, I realize I put an end to something that meant so much to so many people. Last year, he finally sold the treasure. He hasn't revealed how much he got for it, but it is at least enough for him to pay his student debt and drop out of med school. He's just an ordinary guy doing ordinary things whose life was transformed by this treasure. Last week here at church, we looked at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and we found treasure, didn't we? We found gospel treasure hidden in jars of clay, as ordinary people like you and I, containing this precious gospel treasure. And it's this gospel that sits at the core of everything we believe as Christians. Fundamentally, right, it is the good news that God, the maker of everything we see and know and touch and smell and taste, God became human. He took on human form in the person of Jesus. He showed us a perfect life that we can model he then died a, a sacrificial death to deal with our sin, and then he rose to new life to vindicate his claims that he was who he said he was, and to promise everyone who believes in him what we will enjoy, what we can expect 
as his followers, that new resurrection life. This gospel treasure can transform ordinary people like you and I, and not in the way for our friend Jack Stoof, no, in, in ways for the better in our lives. And so we're keeping on this, this theme today. Our headline from 2 Corinthians chapter 5 is this, the gospel treasure transforms ordinary people. It transforms us. It gives us future hope that impacts our life now. And this is not just a a preacher's rhetoric to get you to believe something. It's not just a salesman's pitch to get you to buy something. This is objective truth that we're going to see play out in two ways as it transforms our lives. And it will be transforming the lives of lots of people in here and with us online. It transforms, firstly, our breaking bodies. And secondly, our ruptured relationships. So if you've got your Bible handy, come look with me at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Firstly, the gospel transforms breaking bodies. Uh, Can I get a show of hands for anyone in here who is getting older? Anyone? We've got some deniers here down the front, but truth is, Richard is, most of us are getting older, aren't we? And keep your hand up if you're really feeling that aging process. Yeah, we got some hands. I went for a run on Tuesday, and I'm still feeling the the burn in my calves. We're all getting old. We're all on that steady decline towards death, aren't we? Too morbid? It's true, isn't it? Our bodies are wasting away. Our outer selves are wasting away, Paul said last week in chapter 4. We're breakable. Our bodies are breakable. Now, here in chapter 5, he compares our experience of life now to living in a tent. Come with me to verse 1. Paul writes, For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Now, I love to camp, but after about a week in a tent... I'm ready to move back into a proper building with a proper bed for a good night's sleep and some personal space, right? So a lifetime in a tent, that's too much. But Paul says that is our lot. We live in a a tent that is our earthly home. He's talking about our bodies. Tents are flimsy, aren't they? they? They can be blown over. They can leak. They're not made for us to live in for any great length of time. And eventually, Paul says, these tents, these bodies, will be destroyed. And before we get to that point, before we get to death, well, throughout our life, we groan, he says in verse 2. And again, in verse 4, while we are still in this tent, we groan, we're, we're burdened, we long for something better, something more permanent, something stronger. And look, you, you don't have to be a Christian to know that Paul is onto something here, do you? It is the universal human experience to know that our bodies are breakable. We all know what it means to bleed or to, to be out of breath or to have a headache or to feel nauseous. And that's to say nothing if we experience a disability or, or chronic illness or severe pain. We all know that we have breaking bodies. Now, there is a booming industry that promises hope to us, a solution to these temporary bodies. I read one report this week suggesting that the wellness sector, 
could be a $7 trillion industry worldwide by 2025. It's massive money. It is an industry that is geared towards helping us create holistic, healthy lives. That is physical, mental, even spiritually healthy beings. Uh, We're talking medical professions, we're talking personal fitness regimes, dieting, productivity tools, sleep experts, wellness gurus, with millions of followers on Instagram. It's big money. Just this week, a a new gym opened here in Melbourne where mid-tier membership will cost you $1,000 a week. Wow. But to be fair, for your money, you will get yoga classes, a meditation cave, Vitamin IV drops, anti-aging biohacking, I don't know what that is, but it sounds expensive, cryo chambers, collagen hot chocolates, and shower water infused with vitamin C. Wow. Tempted? Too bad. Membership is already sold out. You can't get in. No, we're going to see in a moment, right, that God cares about our holistic well-being. He has a plan to deal with it. It is good for us to pursue wellness. But this multi-trillion dollar industry is built on promises that it just can't deliver. And we need to see this so we don't pour into it all of our hopes and expectations. You see, it promises us control over our bodies. And if we can master the body, well, then we can master anything, right? We can deal with anything that life throws at us. And that control, that, that mastery... It is a gospel in itself, isn't it? It's a promise of good news, the the way to a better, more fulfilling life. Well, follow this fitness regime and, and this carefully planned diet, not that one, this one, and then sleep like this and meditate like that and control all of that. And then maybe, just maybe, you will achieve salvation, that, that perfect nirvana of a balanced life. But it can't deliver because our bodies will always break down. They are wasting away day by day, and no gym membership, no wellness routine can turn back that tide, can it? Death can be so random. It doesn't discriminate. It doesn't dodge the the fanciest gyms in town. It will come for all of us. And note this, right? Accessing these wellness programs is incredibly exclusive. They cost money that so many people just don't have. The doors are open to to people who are mobile, but it's much more difficult to get in if you live with a disability. Chronic pain can't always be meditated away. And it all takes so much time. Good luck living a well life by these measures if you're working two jobs around the clock just to put foot on the table. Or you're a single parent juggling life and kids and work and everything else. The treasure of this wellness gospel promises, it is, a, it is for a precious few privileged people. There is good in it, but it's not something we should pour all of our hopes and expectations into and then live with the, the burden of guilt on us when we fail to match up to these impossibly high standards. But God offers something different. He holds out gospel treasure 
to every single one of us. There's no cost barrier. There's no block to any of us accessing his treasure. And it's so refreshingly real, right? There are no filters. Yes, says Paul, these are breakable bodies. These tents, they're not meant to be lived in forever. They let us down. They won't last. And yet God has a plan to deal with them. You see, the contrast to a tent in chapter 5 is a building. Look at this again in verse 1. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. See, buildings beat tents every day of the week, don't they? They're strong, they're, they're permanent, they're great to live in. Here, Paul is talking about the, the new bodies that we will get as believers in Jesus, resurrection bodies perfectly suited to his new creation, tailor-made bodies for paradise forever that will not decay and die. So, says Paul, be of good courage, the aging we all feel, the, the pain that some of us are feeling today acutely, the experience of frustration with these bodies, that will not be our experience of life forever. It will pass. In verse 5, he says, what is mortal now will be swallowed up by life. There will be a day when we are given these new perfect creation bodies, and we will look back at this season of our life now and see it as a, a dim and distant part of our past. So long and so glorious will be our future in those bodies. We can only find this promise of transformation in the gospel of Jesus. So what about now? Should we just kind of wait and twiddle our thumbs waiting for this day when we'll get these bodies? Does this have anything to say to our life now? Absolutely it does. The gospel transforms our lives in the body here and now. Flick down with me to verses 9 and 10. Paul says this. So whether we are at home or away, that is whether we're in these mortal bodies or in that new creation body, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. The goal of our lives, says Paul, is to organize everything around pleasing God. We're like children eagerly seeking to, to please our parents, like those kids that might have come running into your room this morning to give you your Mother's Day presents. We're motivated by love for God and love from God and by this recognition that we will be evaluated for what we've done in the body. We'll be judged. In ancient Corinth, there was a literal judgment seat, a raised stone, like sitting high up on a platform where a magistrate would sit and try cases that the citizens of the city would bring to them. Paul himself was brought there in Acts chapter 18 by some angry Jews, but the judge threw the case out. So they know, they've got a vision, an image of what Paul is talking about here. Our lives are going to be evaluated by Jesus as our judge. And remember, he's talking to Christians here. We're not going to escape this. We will stand before Jesus, and he will walk us back through our lives and ask us some pretty pointed questions. Why do we do that there? 
Why do we think that? Why do we say that? Why do we not speak up at this moment? Or why do we not take action at that moment? To be under a microscope like that, that is a pretty uncomfortable experience, isn't it? The commentator Gary Miller says, we need to live now in a way that takes into account the fact that our lives will be examined then. Let this sink in for a moment. A Christian salvation is not in doubt. It is secure by what Jesus has accomplished for us on the cross. But there is this subtle theme that runs through the New Testament where there's a a reward for faithful, worshipful Christian living. Jesus uh, alludes to it in Matthew 25, a story he tells, the parable of the talents is a, a picture of this judgment, where three workers are given talents, a sum of money, and the master tells them to invest that money, and when he returns, he'll collect the interest. Well, to invest well, and they, when the master returns, are rewarded uh, for what they've done, but one doesn't do anything with the talent he's been given. And he is not rewarded. He's scolded by the master. Jesus then says, to everyone who has, more will be given. And he will have an abundance. It's meant to serve as an incentive for us to make the most of all that God has given us with our lives in the bodies now. So what are we doing with our lives, City on a Hill? Are we making the most of every opportunity we have? Are we bringing God glory with our actual talents? And are we quick to praise Him and and thank Him for the gifts that He's given us? Thank you, God, for my my gifts as a a nurse of patience and, and care. Thank you, God, for my head for skilled numbers as an accountant. Thank you, God, for my skilled hands as a, a plumber. How can I use these gifts for your glory, Lord? Help me to make you famous and not me. What about this? Are we ruthlessly eliminating sin from our lives? Are we praying that God would show us where we're straying for Him and praying for a heart that that is warm to obedience and worship? Are we investing the financial wealth we enjoy for the growth of God's kingdom more than the the growth of our own little kingdoms? Are we actually sharing the hope we have in Jesus with the people He has put us among? The gospel is treasure that transforms ordinary people like us. It transforms our breaking bodies forever with this promise of a a new and permanent body. And it transforms us now with purpose and urgency to live for the glory of Jesus. Secondly, it transforms us now with our ruptured relationships. So far, through this letter, we've seen Paul has this kind of up and down relationship with the Corinthians, more down than up, to be honest. He's got these fierce critics in the city knocking everything about him, his, his letters, his preaching, his personality. And so Paul's defending himself, and that's what he's doing in verses 11 to 14 again. He's defending himself because despite all of this, despite all of these detractors, he still loves them and is pursuing a relationship with them. Here's what he says 
in verse 14. This is striking language. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. You see, he's so convinced about Jesus' love for him and for them, demonstrated by his death for them all. He's so convinced and compelled by this love that that's his driving motivation to pursue a relationship with the Corinthians, to keep loving them. And I find that so challenging because the truth is it's just so much easier to let damaged relationships kind of drift away, isn't it? Have you got any of those rocky relationships kicking around in your life? Former friendships just dying a slow, cold death. The truth of the gospel compels us not to give up, but to seek transformation in these relationships for good. We need to model Paul and pursue restored relationships. So, look, if you have done wrong by someone and you haven't yet dealt with it, well, it's time to own it admit it, apologize for it, and seek forgiveness from the person you've hurt. If you've been wronged, are there little things in the mess, in the mix that you can overlook? If not, own the hurt that has been caused to you. Share with the person who's hurt you just how damaging it's been. Share how you feel and wait for them to apologize. And how often should we try this? Peter came up to Jesus and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. In other words, keep going. And all the while, pray that God would soften your heart and their heart. Pray for reconciliation. And know that when you do, you are praying for something that is entirely in line with God's will. Restored relationships between human beings. God loves to bring about reconciliation. Amen? Amen. But here's the thing. The, the focus for Paul in the second half of this chapter is less about our relationships kind of horizontally, human to human. It's more about the vertical relationship that we humans can have with God. And this is a relationship that is utterly transformed by the gospel. Check out verse 18. Let me read it for us. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Re reconciliation is the, the restoration of good relationships after a period of separation. I grew up in Northern Ireland, where you get pretty familiar with conflict and separation. In Belfast, the capital city, we have these giant walls that run through parts of the city. There you go. You can see them. These are ordinary streets in ordinary suburbs, and the walls are there to keep fighting factions apart. Typically, it's loyalist Protestants on one side and Republican Roman Catholics on the other, and they've got to be tall so that you can't throw petrol bombs over the top or rocks or whatever else you find lying around. Ironically, they're called peace walls. They're designed to keep people safe, but they actually keep people segregated. They mark like scars across a community still 
divided. What hope is there for reconciliation when you'd have to get over the top of these 15-meter-tall walls to do it? That picture of a wall is a helpful way to, to frame our relationship with God, our default relationship. But our dividing wall is not built here with bricks and barbed wire. It is built with sin, one brick at a time. That is our desire to live completely independently from God, to have nothing to do with Him. It is our failure to put Him at the heart of our lives and have everything else orbit around Him. It's our conscious and unconscious, constant bent away from Him. It's sin. And we build it brick by brick, and it separates us from God. And so it would stay if it weren't for Jesus. It is the gospel of Jesus that is transformational. Here, Paul says it at the end in verse 21. Have a look. For our sake, he made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The logic is this, that Jesus knew no sin. He lived a perfect life, perfectly obedient, not a, not a whiff of wrongdoing. And then he died a, a death, a sacrificial death on the cross. And that was where he absorbed God's wrath, God's need for justice at our rejection of him. And, and because he was God himself, his one death was sufficient for all of us to be made right before God, to stand righteous before this judge on that day. Jesus has won this freedom for us. And like us, when we celebrate our, our footy teams winning the grand final, we all as fans can celebrate and share in the glory of victory because of what Jesus has won for us. We can go from having a ruptured relationship to standing righteous before him. And there's more. Because to leave it there might be a little bit cold and kind of transactional, but no, God wants relationship, right? Reconciliation is a word Paul uses in here five times, and it is a relationship word, isn't it? Couples might seek reconciliation if their marriage is breaking down. Business partners seek it if they've fallen out. Nations seek it after they've had a war. God seeks it with humanity, and it's all His initiative, right? We're described as His enemies, we're the ones who wrong him with our sin. Yet he's the one who reaches over that wall to reconcile us. It's all from God, says Paul in verse 18, through Christ reconciling us to himself. Verse 19, it's in Christ that God was reconciling the world to himself. He longs for a relationship with us. So friend, if there is a distance between yourself and God today, if that relationship is drifted, and you need to hear Paul's plea in verse 20. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled with God. Maybe you've never known a relationship with God, and this is new news for you today. Well, if it is, God has you here for a reason. God's brought you with us online for a reason. He's calling you home. 
We pray every week in here and in the lead up to our Sunday gatherings that God would transform ordinary people like you and I with the gospel, that he would reconcile more people, even just one more person when we gather to him in Christ. Friend, we've been praying for you. We will keep praying for you. Be reconciled to God. And look, he doesn't promise that life will be perfect with him. It won't be easy, but it is good. Just this week, I started reading the Bible with a young guy who looks up to his Christian parents And he's starting to see that there's something different about them. There's a kindness and a a gentleness that he wants for himself. And what he's seeing is the difference that God makes by his spirit in our lives as we believe this gospel of Jesus. There is a genuine and attractive difference. Jesus is slowly transforming us from one degree of glory to another. And look, we take this judgment seriously. We will stand before him, all of us, one day. And and if we don't believe in what Jesus has done for us, we will stand there alone, trusting in our own works, but falling horribly short of the standard of perfection that God expects. It doesn't need to go that way. Be reconciled to God through Jesus. And what if we know We're reconciled. Anything in here for us? If we have already done this work or received this invitation, yes, there is. The gospel continues to transform our lives because ordinary people like us, we're called to be ambassadors, to be reconcilers, inviting people to meet Jesus. Verse 18, he he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. He gave us the message of reconciliation. In verse 19 and then verse 20, have a look. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. Every single Christian here, God has commissioned us for this task of reconciling others to him. God has placed us very particularly in places to share this treasure as ambassadors. Uh, Like an ambassador would go from Australia and represent Australian values and and, uh, identity and interests all over the world. I don't know what that means. I thought it meant flogging cork hats and tossing shrimps on Barbies before I came. Well, like that, God has placed us with responsibility in our web of relationships that is completely unique to you. You don't have my relationships. I don't have your relationships. God's put us there individually for a reason. And you might be rubbing shoulders with people that don't know a single other Christian in the lives of those people. So you are uniquely placed to share that treasure, this gospel, so that others can be reconciled to God. As we plant our next church in Ballarat, we've got a map of the city with little dots. We've all put little dots on it to represent where we live and and where we work to remind us that we are there as ambassadors for the gospel. And and there's a lot of work to do. If we want to reach that whole city for Jesus, there's about 20 dots on the map. But uh, one of our resident whiz technicians, Healy Bell at the back, has created the similar map for us here in Melbourne. Check it out. Here it is. We've got all of the city mapped out. And those red dots, those red blurbs, they're all places where, where we live, where God has put us, where neighborhoods or apartment buildings that God has placed us in. 
Those red zones, they're all great opportunities for us to share this gospel treasure. And look even better, look at the parts of the city where they kind of blend and blur into each other. That is where we're clustered, where lots of us are living in the same space, maybe by accident, by coincidence, we're living in the same street or the same apartment building, or maybe it's by design because you and your, your gospel community, you all actually live close to each other in similar parts of the city. These are wonderful opportunities for us to share this gospel treasure. Sam Chan says this, here's the key idea you need to grasp. People will find a story more believable if more people in their community, their trusted friends and family also believe the story. If people around you can see you living a transformed life by Jesus and then can see some of your friends or your family living that same transformed life by Jesus, it becomes all the more plausible, this gospel that we believe. So here's a challenge for you in your, your gospel community this week. Why don't you pray for opportunities to ambassador together, to kind of form little embassies all over Melbourne. Ask God to give us wisdom. What, what could it look like? Where could you meet? Where could you be public? Where could you be engaged in the community that God has put you in? What could it look like? God has placed us in those places to be messengers of reconciliation. He has put us there for a reason to make a transformational difference in the life of people in this city. What a wonderful privilege. I'm going to invite the band up as we draw to a close. The gospel is treasure. Transforming ordinary people like you and me. And it is unique in its power to transform our breaking bodies with this promise of a glorious new and perfect body. It is unique in its power to transform our ruptured relationships, but our one key ruptured relationship, one with our Heavenly Father. I want to lead us in a prayer before we sing a prayer together. This is a prayer that we would lean in and embrace and enjoy this treasure that God has given us or tasted for the first time today. So church, will you stand with me? We'll pray together before we sing together. Gracious God, this earth is groaning. We, as humans in breaking bodies, we are groaning. We are longing for your kingdom to come. So Lord, let your kingdom come. Let your will here be done, God. Lord, I pray that you would take these words of courage and plant them deep in our hearts if we're feeling our bodies breaking today. Fill us with gospel hope for transformation. Lord, motivate and mobilize us to live for your glory with the whole of our lives now. Lord, move us to reconcile with people where we have broken relationships. And Lord, would you reconcile more of us to yourself today? King Jesus, bring us back if we've wandered far from you. Embrace us, Lord, for the first time today. Let your kingdom come. May your will be done. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. 
If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.